Today we're going to continue this series that we've been in called One Change. And if this is your first time uh, as to visit Canyon Hills, I want you to know this series is all about pursuing one change. We all need to make a lot of changes, but at least pursuing one change that will help you better pursue Jesus Christ. So during this series, some of you may find there's maybe a couple of things you might need to stop doing uh, to really better pursue Jesus. You may find that you're running so fast you never have any time, so maybe you need to change this thing of changing your schedule and slowing down so that you really have time to sit in His presence, read His Word, pray and listen to God. Maybe you find that you're really totally on the wrong kind of road, and maybe you need to turn around <laughs> and just make a U-turn on something in your life and say, Jesus, I'm going to go your direction, not the direction I've been going. And so in this series, it's all about making one, at least one, specific change that maybe God has been talking with you about, maybe for a long time. So the question is, what is one thing that you need to change to better pursue Jesus? And what's keeping you from being like a cyclist who sets in his heart a goal and then he goes after it? Maybe a mileage goal. Maybe for a cyclist, it's a, a fitness goal or an hour goal. How, how long can I keep pedaling? <laughs> but what's keeping you from being like a cyclist and going after a change? Setting a goal and going after it. And a cyclist, as you know, stays with it. Has to pedal through the suffering at times to meet his goal. So what's keeping you from being the kind of Christian who sets a spiritual goal of living just like Jesus and then really going after it? What's keeping you from being the kind of Christian who stays with it in spite of the sacrifice or suffering along the way? I mean, listen, listen to this. After all Jesus has done for you, and is preparing for you in heaven. What change do you need to make to better pursue him? To better follow him? To better obey him? To better please him? To better serve him? What change would Jesus have you make? Well, imagine this this morning. What if Jesus, what if holy God stepped up to your row and said, hey, can I sit with you this morning? <laughs> what if holy God himself came and sat down with you right here this morning in the church, and he sat down right with you? What change would you immediately be convicted to make to become more like him? I mean, if, if God's sitting there. <laughs> what change would you feel like he would ask you to make? What in your life needs to change to look less like this world and more like holy God sitting next to you? What change would that be? Because the Bible says this, and this is our theme verse for this series. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but let God transform you, change you into a new person by changing the way you think. We fall into the trap of becoming more like the world 
Christians do, churches do. We fall into the trap of following the patterns of the world, sometimes not even consciously, but we do. And the Bible is saying, don't do that. Don't be conformed to the pattern of the world. Let God change you. Now, one of the toughest things, I think, to change in this world, to let God change in us, is the way we use money instead of the way that God wants us to use money. That's one of the toughest things to change. So today, I want to talk with you about pursuing the goal of using money the way Jesus wants you to use it. Now, last week, most of you received a letter from me letting you know about a deficit that our church has been managing and a, and a deficit that we need to quickly eliminate. And today, I want you to know that we've already made some great progress towards that, that deficit. Uh, some people in our church uh, quickly stepped up and, and gave a total of $21,100. And uh, so we're, we're thankful for that progress. We've got a long ways to go, but we're thankful for that. And in fact, this past week, our staff also cut monthly expenses by over $2,000 to better match our expenses with, with our giving. So keep praying with me and asking God to help us just wipe out and eliminate that deficit so that we can focus on ministry more than money. But what I want you to know is that this message today is bigger and it's way beyond our current situation. Because using our money right gets our spiritual lives right. Maybe you've never heard that, but using money right gets our spiritual lives right. Now, some of you might think, oh, here's a pastor talking on money again, but did you realize that the most fun that pastors ever get to have is when we get to sit down and write a letter about money <laughs> and deficits? And then we get to preach about it. I mean, what could be more fun than that? I mean, that's what I got into the ministry for. <laughs> Absolutely, man. That's what I live for. I wake up to preach on money. Not. <laughs> Not true. That, no. The most fun a pastor gets to have is to lead one of you to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and get to help you grow and, and become more like Jesus. But it may surprise you that Jesus taught more about how to handle money than he taught about how to get into heaven or how to avoid hell. In fact, one half of all the parables told by Jesus are how to use money. And one out of every six verses in Matthew, Mark, and John, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are all about money. One out of every six verses. Now, why would Jesus do that? I think it's because Jesus knew that this thing of money in our world, in our society, could begin to dominate our lives. Jesus knew that money could occupate, occupy all of your time. I mean, thinking about it, trying to earn it and get it, spending it, investing it, protecting it. He knew that it could occupy all of our time. Jesus knew that money could claim first place in your heart. And so Jesus spoke how to, about how to use money more than anything else. And today, we're going to look at one of his parables where he talked about money. So take a look at this. Luke chapter 16, in your Bible or on the screen. Here it is. There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? 
Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is going to take away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I don't know what I'll do. So I know what I'll do. So when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 450. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commanded the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with, with much. Whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Man, there's a lot of messages that could come out of this parable. We could approach this from a lot of different ways. But Jesus told this parable because the pattern that most people conform to in our world is loving and chasing after things like money, possessions, pleasure, power, sex, and status. And God tells us in this theme verse of ours, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Because conforming to those patterns means that you are loving and chasing and trusting money to solve your problems instead of God. It means that you're loving and pursuing money more than you're pursuing God. So from this parable, we're going to learn this morning three things to not do with money. And then you're going to leave here learning four things that God says to remember about money. And I believe if you remember these four things and do these four things, your money stress is going to go way down and your joy is going to go way up. Take a look at this. First one, write it down. When it comes to money, do not waste it. Do not waste it. Don't waste the money that God is trusting you to manage. We can get all involved in buying all kinds of little things that don't really matter. But God is saying, don't waste it. I'm trusting you to manage it. The Bible says this. The manager was accused of wasting his master's possessions. Folks, the money you have, the money you have is money that God has placed in your hands. Money that he wants you to use wisely. Money that he wants you to manage well for him. The master has placed possessions and money in your hands to manage. Don't waste it. Second, write this down. When it comes to money, do not love it. Don't love it. Don't live for it. Don't allow the affection and adoration that God deserves be given to money. God alone deserves our affection, amen, and our adoration and our worship. Don't misplace your affection by placing it on money. The Bible says no servant can serve two masters. He'll hate one, love the other. 
Be devoted to one or despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. It's impossible to live with a divided allegiance. Ever tried to work for two bosses? <laughs> doesn't work. Just doesn't work. So listen, the heart of the problem is usually a problem of the heart. God wants your heart. But too often, we give our heart to money, chasing after it. So Jesus lays out in black and white in this parable that you've got to choose what's going to be number one in your life. You've got to decide what's going to be number one. You can't have two number ones. You've got to decide. You can't say, well, my number one goal in life is to, to pursue God and make a lot of money. Can't do that. You can't have two number one goals. You've got to decide what's going to be number one in your life. Is knowing and loving and serving God going to be your number one goal? The number one thing that you just, you just get on and you take off and you pursue Him with all your might. Is that going to be your number one goal? Are you going to stay with it? Or is chasing after money going to be your number one goal? Next, when it comes to money, do not trust it. Do not waste it. Do not love it. Do not trust it. Don't trust money to be your security. Because I don't care how much money you have or how much money you ever make, you can lose it. It can all go away. The manager said, what am I going to do now? I'm losing my job. Folks, jobs can be lost. Money can stop coming in. In fact, the Bible says this in Proverbs 23, your money can be gone in a flash. Ever had that happen? <laughs> God, something breaks at home. You thought you had a nice little nest egg and savings. and Man, it can be gone in a flash as if it had grown wings and flown away like an eagle. <laughs> Ever had money just fly away? Anybody? Am I the only one? Yeah. Sometimes it just takes off. One moment you had it, and in a flash it was gone. It can fly away like an eagle. Man, I'm so thankful that the U.S. government was so kind to put an eagle on the back of every dollar just to remind us that it can fly away. It's there. Go look at it. People say money talks. No, it doesn't. It walks. <laughs> That's what money does. It just walks right out of your bank account, flies away. And some of you know what it's like to suddenly have no source of income. Job is gone, to suddenly lose financial security. When that happens, that's frightening. So listen, you should never put your security in anything that can be taken from you. If you put your security in your appearance, one day your looks are going to fade. Believe me, you're never going to look as sexy as you do today. Amen? Come on, that was funny. <laughs> your looks are going to fade. All of ours are. If you put your security in your health, one day your health is going to maybe take a big U-turn. If you put security in your job, maybe one day your job will go away. If you put your security in a loved one, one day your loved one may take their last breath. If you put your security in your bank balance, one day your balance just may be wiped out. Listen, if you want to be secure, your life has to be built upon something that can never be taken from you. And there's only one thing that you can never, ever lose, and that is the love of Jesus Christ. Amen? And His commitment to you 
You can never lose his love and his commitment to you. So build your life on Jesus alone. When it comes to money, do not waste it. Do not love it. Do not put your trust in it. But then here's four things you should do. First of all, write this down. When it comes to money, remember it belongs to God. It belongs to God. In fact, the whole universe belongs to God. You belong to God. I belong to God. The heavens, the sun, the moon, the earth, the land, the trees. Every creature belongs to God, their creator. We all belong to God. You really don't own anything. What you think you own is really on loan. It's on loan to you by God. God just loans it to you for a few years, and one day you are going to die, and it's going to be loaned to somebody else to use and to manage. You really don't own it. You just get to use it and manage it while you're alive. So in this parable, the master, the owner, let the manager take care of his property, take care of his possessions. And in the same way, we're all in a management role here on earth. In the same way, God has put some things under your management. And God, your master, is watching how you're using what he's placed in your care. The question is, how well are you taking care of God's property? How well are you doing it at managing what he's placed under your care? Now, not just the money that he's allowing you to manage, but what about the body he's given you to manage? What about the time he's given you to manage? What about the talents? What about the family he's given you to manage? How well are you managing all that God has placed in your care? In this parable, the master owner found his manager wasting his possessions. And the truth is, anytime I waste money, I'm wasting what belongs to my master. And sometimes we do it without even asking God. We don't make big purchases and big plans, and we, we don't even consult God. So first, when it comes to money, remember it belongs to God. Second, write this down, and then remember it tests you. Money will test you. In fact, God is using money as a tool to test you on earth to see what he can trust you with in eternity. If you faithfully manage the things he loans to you on earth, then he knows that he can trust you to manage even more in heaven. And one of the tools God uses to test you is money because of these three things. Money, write this down, it shows what you love most. How you use the money that God loans you shows him what you love most. And no matter what you say you love most, your checkbook and your credit card reveals what you love most. If you say you love God most, then your checkbook should reveal that you're faithfully giving to the work of God, to his church family, what he asks you in his word to give. It shows what you love most. Next, it shows what you trust most. Are you trusting money for security or God? Are you trusting money for happiness? Oh, I just, you won't believe what I just got. Are you trusting money for some temporary happiness? Are you trusting God for happiness? Money shows what you trust most. The Bible says this, if you trust in your money, you will fall. But if you trust in God, you'll flourish like a green tree. 
So if you're here this morning and you don't feel like you're flourishing in your life, if you don't feel like you're growing and producing anything in your life, then maybe it's time to check your checkbook. Those who give to God in faith and then trust God to provide for them are those who flourish like a green tree by the living water. So God says money will test you. What you love most, it shows what you trust most. And then next, it shows if you can be trusted with more. See, God uses money to see how you manage material things. And so he gives you a little to see how you manage it and if he can trust you with more. The Bible says this once again, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with very little will also be trusted with much. If you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? So folks, when it comes to money, remember, first of all, it belongs to God. Remember, it is is a test and it tests you. And then, third, remember, it is a tool for God's work. It's a tool. Simply a tool to be used to accomplish the work, the ministries of God here on earth. So money is simply a tool to use to spread the message of love, forgiveness, and the gift of life that Jesus offers. It's simply a tool to use to start new churches, a tool to use to to help train pastors and missionaries and worship leaders, a tool to to send people out and and care for other people who are suffering, who are sick, who who are hungry. It's simply a tool. Jesus said it this way, I tell you, Use your worldly wealth. In other words, don't waste it, don't love it, don't trust it, but do use it for God's work. Somebody once said that money is like manure. See, I grew up in the Midwest, and we had to clean out barns and scoop manure into big wagons, and then we'd go spread it across fields and use it as fertilizer. Well, somebody once said that that. Money's kind of like manure. If you pile it up in a pile, it just sits there and stinks. But if you spread it all around, it makes things grow. So use what God has put in your hands to fertilize his work and to make things grow. Kind of imagine this with me. One day, you're going to die. I'm going to die. You're going to die. But when you open your eyes in heaven, there will be people as you enter heaven who are clapping and cheering and, and saying, we are here Because you used your money to support God's work. And because you did, we heard about Jesus and asked him into our lives. Imagine that. You see, when we give, it's about people. It's about people. The question is, are you using any of your money for that kind of thing? Another question is this. Is anybody going to be in heaven because of you. Is anybody going to be in heaven because of the way you used your money? Folks, every cent that you give to God, God's work here helps somebody hear about Jesus. And it gives them the opportunity to accept him into their lives and receive the gift of life in heaven. Beyond that, it helps people in this church family. It helps people in this community. It helps people in Mexico and in the Philippines. It helps us start churches in other cities so people can hear about Jesus. 
Beyond that, it helps us start new ministries where we can build relationships with other people and share with them the message of Christ. So when you use your money here, or when you use your money to maybe take somebody to a Christian movie that doesn't yet know Christ, or to a Christian concert with you, or when you use your money to meet the the need of somebody who is sick or poor or homeless, what have you just done? You've invested in helping get that person to heaven for eternity. And all of God's people said, amen. That's what you're investing in, in people. And that is, that's great money management. So when you give now to help build or strengthen God's church, it keeps on helping people get to know Jesus as Savior and Lord even long after you were dead and gone. You might say, well, how, how's that happen, Pastor? Well, it's because when you give money here, and we go out and we start churches in other places, or we go to Juarez and we invest in helping that church thrive, and we go to the Philippines and we invest in helping those churches thrive. When you give here today and now and we invest in them, long after we're dead and gone, Juarez is still going to go. And Juarez is getting ready to plant their first church and, and considering a second. And Dave is considering a church plant up in Clovis, all right? And so long after we're dead and gone, because we've invested in churches They're going to keep winning people to Jesus Christ. Amen? And that's why we don't just go out and feed people uh, on the street. Whatever we do, I mean, they need food. But the reason we have come up with this philosophy is we do that through connecting with other churches. We help churches feed people. We help churches do vocational training. We help churches, you know, do all kinds of things. Because when it's connected with a church, long after we're dead and gone, they're still going. Amen? And so that's how you can invest in eternity even after, after you're dead and gone. And that's the highest and the best use of money because it's reaching people after you're gone. That's great management. But listen, you can't take your money with you. But you can make sure some of it's used for God and others even when you're gone. But you say, well, what about leaving money to my kids? I mean, what about leaving my kids some inheritance? Well, that's fine. But my question is, Are you setting aside anything to leave for the work of God? I mean, one day, when Shirley and I are dead and gone, our kids are going to sit in front of some attorney, and an attorney is going to read to them our trust. And they're going to find out that we didn't leave them everything. We didn't, we've decided long ago to not leave them everything. We decided long ago that we were going to leave a tithe to a Christian college that we believe really does an awesome job in training pastors and missionaries and worship leaders. And we decided we're going to leave a 10% tithe to this church. And so, are you leaving anything? Sorry, kids. (laughs) They're not in here right now. (laughs) But one day, they're going to find that out. So the question is, are you using your money now for the work of God? And when you're gone, will any of your money still be used for the work of God? When it comes to your money, it belongs to God. It tests you. It's a tool for God's work. And last, write this down. It is audited by God. It is audited by God. One day, there's going to be an audit of your life by the most thorough CPA ever. God. Everybody so. Everybody say, whoa. <laughs> He's going to audit your books. He's going to look at your books. He's going to look at what you did with what you were given, what he placed in your care. 
And it's not going to matter whether you were given little or given much. That's not going to matter. He's going to audit how you managed what you had. What will matter is what you did with what he gave you. And he's going to audit. Like the master in the parable, God is going to say, you must now give me an account of your stewardship and report what you've done with what I entrusted to you because your time as a manager on earth is ending. So one day, your time as a manager for God's possessions here on earth is going to end. And God who entrusted certain assets to you as a manager, he's going to audit you. And so he's going to look at what you did with the mind he gave you, with the health he gave you, with the freedom he gave you, with the money he gave you. And he's going to see exactly where you spent what he gave you to manage. That could be scary, right? God's got the pen. (laughs) That could be scary. But the Bible says to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. You see, when you are faithful, even in little ways, it produces fruitfulness in big ways. Maybe you say, well, when God blesses me and really blesses me and I make it big, then I'm going to start tithing. No, you won't. Because if you make it really big, you'll take a look at how big 10% is on how big you made it. You say, that's too big to give. <laughs> you won't start tithing then. It'll, it'll seem too huge. It's when you start using well the little that God has given you that God then can then trust you with more. I learned that lesson as a young boy. I was privileged to grow up in a, in a small French church in Iowa and when I was young, I started using the little bit of time and talents and spiritual gifts and, and, and money that I had, and I started giving it to God. And I remember on Sundays, the, the plates being passed and putting my dimes and my quarters and my nickels that I'd saved up that decided to take and give to God. I began to give that, and then God started blessing me and opening doors for me as I got older so that I could spend more time doing His work and give me opportunities to increase my talents that He'd given me and to, you know, to give him more money so I could support his work. And he, he increased all of that. But it was when I started using the little that I had for him that he trusted me with more. All through junior high, all through high school, I used what God gave me to serve him by going to churches and camps and city events and to the country of Haiti to sing and share my faith, uh, to county fairs even, and to, to, to share my faith with people that didn't know Jesus. But it was then in my senior year, senior year in high school, that this unknown little blonde-haired guy, well, it used to be blonde, okay? <laughs> this unknown blonde-haired little guy, farm kid, was offered a four-year full-ride scholarship to college. Who gets offered that? Maybe some phenomenal athlete, but an unknown farm kid with average kind of grades in high school because I was so passionate about God, all I wanted to do was travel and do music and share my faith in Jesus. Who gets offered that? Not a farm kid. But it was at this point that I began to understand that God was trusting me with more to manage. At that point, I began to understand that God had a bigger plan for my life. And then a few years later, God moved me and Shirley to California and called us to start this church and impact this community, to start churches in other communities and countries. And at that time in our lives, we did not have much of anything. 
When we moved to California, about the only thing we owned were music instruments, a stereo that we had bought with our wedding money, which we were so poor we couldn't afford a stereo cabinet. We, we took old wood boards that we pulled off an old barn falling down in Kansas before we moved and cut them up and we used bricks and stacked the shelves and put our stereo on that. Anybody ever do that? <laughs> that's how you started out, right? That's, that's, all, that's all we had. I mean, in, in those days, we didn't have computers. We had typewriters. Anybody remember those? Those days, we didn't have iPads. We had notepads that we went to school with, you know? We didn't have any of that kind of stuff. And, and so we were so poor, but we took the little that we had and began to use it for God. And we were faithful to use our time and our talents and our money for God. And early there in our marriage, very first year of our marriage, we had a talk and we, we started giving God 10% of our income the very first year of our marriage. And we've been faithfully doing that now for 43 years. And, and even when our kids were in sports and music and college expenses came and car insurance expenses came and, and wedding after wedding hit, it seemed like wedding after wedding hit, we continued to give God our full tithe. And God always met our needs. He always carried us through. There were some hard times, sure, but he sustained us and he met our basic needs. And so we gave him the little we had. And then when we moved into this building, because of the increased cost to the church, we decided to increase our giving from 10%. And today, we're now giving 14% of our gross income back into the ministries of this church. And I'm not saying that to brag or boast or anything. I'm just wanting you to say, we gave more and God is still meeting needs. Amen? He's still meeting needs and, and blessing us in ways that we never dreamed he would bless us. And so I want you to know that God has been faithful to sustain us in every season of life. Even in our current season as hospital deductibles and more expenses are coming now, as Shirley gets treated, God is still meeting our needs. Amen? That's our God. He can be trusted when you bless him with even the little that you have. And so I share this story with you just to say that if you prove you can be trusted with the little you have, God will bless you with even more. And I want you to receive God's blessings into your life. But to get his blessings, you have to use well what he's given to you to manage. If you manage it well and bless him back with the little you have, he'll bless you with more. Here's the deal. I think we're all in this boat. We all really want Jesus to give to us. Amen? <laughs> we all really want Jesus to give to us. But are we willing to change how we use our money and begin really giving to Jesus? Folks, if we did, there'd be no stopping Canyon Hills. Amen? We'd just accelerate. Would you bow with me in prayer? If God has been speaking to your heart about maybe making a change in this area, would you just pray this in your heart with me? Father God, I want to better pursue Jesus and his will for my life. I commit today to start changing how I use money. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word and all of your promises that if we bless you, you'll bless us with even more. Lord, as we 
start down this path, I just pray that you would lead us and guide us as individuals, as husbands and wives, as students. Lord, just lead us and guide us. And may you and your church continue to expand and grow. We pray in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen.